Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. Somebody get a shot up at the buzzer. It's good. Brooks Hall. The place hits it at the buzzer. The Dayton Flyers. Pandemonium. And the Dayton Decibel does it. The great college basketball venues in the nation. UD Arena. This is Talking Out Loud, the number one podcast on the internet for Dayton Flyers basketball. Always wearing red and being loud. And welcome back to Talking Out Loud, the final edition, the final episode. I'm your host, Sully, joined by my confidant in podcasting, Drew, this evening. And if it's morning, noon, or night, we are appreciative that you have joined us for this episode, and we have reached the end. We have indeed reached the end of the Dayton Flyers season, at least the season that matters wholly. If you're an NIT supporter, an NIT rooter, we do not recognize that particular tournament on this program. However, we will fire up the podcast if there is a final game at Madison Square Garden and the Dayton Flyers are still alive. Drew, do you feel like that's a fair rule that the program has here on Talking Out Loud? I would agree with that, yes. I mean, uh, you have to have standards. It's, it, it's right. And, you know, I just can't get up for that it, for the NIT like I can for normal games or, you know, it'd be nice if it was an NCAA tournament game. But I digress there. We'll, we'll talk We'll talk about that more. But, yeah, you know, I just kind of lose the motivation. And when you do, you know, life is hard moment here for the podcasting crew. Like when you do a show like this all season long, you get to the end and you feel the finality of it. You're just kind of like, all right. Let's put a bow on this thing and, and take a little bit of a break. Yeah, that's precisely right. And that's why our, um, you know, since the program has been in its existence, and even before when we were the Blackburn Review podcast, the rule has stayed the same. You don't cover the NIT. If you want to cover it, if you would like to watch all the games, if you would like to tweet about it, God bless you. If you're one of those people out there where you're like, well, if the Flyers are on, I'm watching. Good for you. That's just not how we roll here. I will most likely be watching the first four games on Wednesday night. Um, all of those are far more entertaining to me personally than the Dayton Flyers playing in the first round of the NIT on the road at Toledo. And frankly, there's not a whole lot of payoff to winning that first game. They don't really start to to mean much um, in the NIT until about the third or fourth game when you're cruising through the bracket. This year, I suppose a lot of Dayton fans are going to be roped into the NIT if they get to the third round and play Xavier at home. Even that is not going to get me to go from six to midnight. Um, I might turn it on in passing, but we're here to recap the season that was the season that is over and the season that we watched unfold and come to a close on Saturday afternoon in D.C. Uh, Drew, that's the opening for tonight. All we're going to do is put a bow on this season for you, Faith for Flyer fans, and uh, and we'll kick it over to next season. So where I want to start tonight is... Uh, the fantastic, and we'll be joined by Blackburn in a second. Uh, the guy still just, he can't get it right on his calendar. So he'll be joining into the program at some point here tonight, but bear with uh, while we cruise through the opening of this show. But wanted to start tonight uh, on the A-10 tournament and the um, the experience, the overall experience of the A-10 tournament, because as you may recall, if you're a listener of this program for any length of time, uh, about two years ago, I got my first uh, media credential for the show, Talking Out Loud. I think at the at the time, it was the Blackburn Review podcast before I had rebranded. And I got a media credential for the 2020 tournament. And of course, 
we all know how the 2020 A10 tournament went down or lack thereof. So uh, last season, it didn't quite work out for me. And frankly, you know, with where the team was, um, you know, spending time and hard earned dollars to get to the A10 tournament last season really just did not seem like a great use of my time, nor was I going to take up any of your time, fair listener, um, on the blog or making radio shows about the team that, of course, inevitably went out early on Friday afternoon. So this year, I was bright-eyed, bushy-tailed, flew into Washington, D.C. on Friday morning, had a nice little jaunt around the nation's capital past the White House on a gorgeous Friday afternoon before joining the A-10 tournament as a media member in the bowels of Capital One Arena. And first things first, Drew, I have to say, um, I'm sure this comes in no shock to everybody else, it is damn confusing um, in the basement of Capital One Arena. And it's just because every time you turn a corner, you never know whether you're supposed to go left or right. But there's basically a hallway that goes all the way around the court in all directions, right? Um, the media spread as far as the food was being kind. It was underwhelming. A lot of snacks. They, they kind of feed you, but they kind of don't. You know, it's like you're not really right. going to Roost Chris uh, at the media room. Um, frankly, I, it kind of made me long for Donato's Pizza at UD Arena. Um, those were really the days, but I did get to say hi to a lot of people. First and foremost, I uh, got to sit next to our bud Carter Chapley, who car- covers a uh, slew, uh, got to say, Hey, to Stu Durando, who's the beat writer, uh, for the St. Louis dispatch of course had, uh, many conversations with David Jablonski. I met the SID for slew, who was a very nice guy, very complimentary of our work. And, um, all in all, it was just a pretty great time. Um, so that was kind of where I wanted to start tonight, Drew, is that I finally got there as a media member. I got to sit courtside for the semifinals on Saturday. I actually forewent that obligation on Friday night um, because it was just too stressful. I-, I couldn't sit down because I was very afraid that we were going to lose to UMass. And so late first half, I actually went up into the stands, took off my press badge and uh, grabbed a beer and sat with some flyers up there because I'm sure you can sympathize with this plight, Drew. It is damn difficult to keep your cool on press row when the shit's really hitting the fan for the Dayton Flyers. I tried to do it in Maui and lasted about 10 minutes of game time. Yeah. I lasted 10 yeah. minutes sitting on press row at game time and I was I was out of there in the stands, beer like like you said beer in hand for pretty much the remainder of that tournament. Correct. So you're right, Drew, like it's tough. um, But Saturday, I really made a commitment to the bit um, where I was like, I was like, okay, I'm going to sit and watch the first semifinal game. uh, The um, God slew playing uh, against Davidson. And I was sitting there. I'm like, okay, if I can handle sitting there for the slew Davidson game, I can get a feel for how it is down here you know, how I can react, how I cannot react. And then sure enough, you know, took my seat for uh, for Dayton against Richmond. So we can take the conversation there as to what went down on the floor, because there was a lot. And I, I picked um, a kind of a rough game to cover, I guess, courtside. This is probably the first time I've sat courtside for a Dayton game in shit since I was a, a student. So probably about 10 years now. And sure enough, I didn't even see the play where Malachi Smith went down. Flyers go into the half up eight on a Deron Holmes missed layup, uh, which was heartbreaking in itself. Drew, did you see the play? What happened? How did he hurt his ankle? Did they replay it on television? I will say before you start that I felt like it was ridiculous how many times they had to show Malachi when he came back to the bench, had his ankle iced up. But what did you see on television? I can fill in the blanks as to what I saw on the court. So I didn't see it. Uh, happened live I I saw the the ball come loose and then I was focused on that and then I saw like Mally kind of like disappear from the screen and what looked like you know in pain so when it came down and he was starting to walk off of it you know it looked like it may not you know maybe it just got rolled up on but it got rolled he got rolled up on pretty good uh you could tell right away that it was more than likely he was not going to be playing in the second half, which, you know, as, which came true. Um, 
And that really kind of was the beginning of the end. That's when the doubt started to slip into my mind, at least, uh, where, you know, we were kind of on cruise control there for a while and it looked like we were going to take care of business. And that was kind of the first real domino to where you go, oh man, that's, that's really not good. We came out the first part of the second half, you know, looked fine and then just kind of slowly but surely started to unravel and until, you know, the final buzzer sounded. Yeah, and that was that was it. It was kind of death by a thousand paper cuts right there in the last 12 it was. minutes, you know, and I don't think Richmond did any one thing. Right. Like it wasn't like, oh, they're they're pushing the pace on the fast break. They're getting a bunch of easy buckets. Oh, the Flyers are turning the ball over. I think that Dayton really just had no answer offensively. Um, they they couldn't really make a shot. I mean, they had a, a few contested looks there towards the end, um, and they they were getting to the rim. Things just weren't falling, but they really weren't doing anything consistently on offense. And then, of course, the the consistency of our coaching staff sets in. There's an 11-0 run. They call a timeout before the eight-minute mark, but at that point, the damage was was long gone. It was long done. And I was sitting there and when you're in the arena, you can feel the momentum shift in moments like that. And that's pretty rare, actually. You know, um, you know, when, when you're in the crowd, that's one thing. When you're on the court, you can really feel momentum start to shift. And Richmond fans really didn't have a single reason to be excited up until that point. And sure enough, you know, Grant and company, they call a timeout about two minutes too late. Richmond cuts it to four. And then all of a sudden we got a ball game throughout the rest that has happened up until that point. And what we saw from there was just complete ineptitude on offense. There was no consistency. There was, I can't even tell you now sitting where I sat Blackburn, you can correct me if I'm wrong on this one, but like sitting where I'm sat, I can't remember a single successful offensive set under the 10 minute mark. Yeah. I, I'm trying to jog my brain. I really can't remember a single one. Well, we go scoreless from the 1204 mark until the 515 mark. That's so, not good. you know, well, no, that's, that's pretty spot on or the, yeah, the 557 mark, we get to 54. Um, but yeah, a seven minute scoring drought while, you know, Richmond was pretty much getting whatever they wanted on the on their offensive end during that stretch. Obviously, we touched on it. No timeout called. Uh, <laughs> and it, like I, it was just, yeah, you look at the you look at the game flow. It's just a constant rise for for Richmond. And there, there's that flat line there in that seven minute period. So that was what ultimately did them in. And it was, you know, based in a lot of reasons. I I don't know if the press was bothering them, the not having the point guard, which they seem to be fine handling it the first plus five in the first eight minutes. Yep. Right. So yeah, it's very frustrating, very, um, you know, disappointing. And uh, yeah, it's really all you can say about it. And like you said, the, the coaching, the, the seven minute, that seven minute stretch there, it's, it's unacceptable in a game that is that high stakes, but you know, they'll learn, they'll, come back and next season, hopefully God willing, uh, they'll learn from a, a moment the coaching like that staff and will, they'll come back better. I'm more so talking about the players on the floor. The players will learn. The, the players will learn. I think that's, yeah, that's more of what I'm, that's more of what I'm getting at. You know, it's very disappointing. You know, I'm sure all the players were devastated after the game, much like we were. So hopefully that lights a fire into them where, you know, coming up just short of the tournament, Hopefully, if the guys aren't properly motivated next year, then there really is like then there, it truly is, you know, the danger zone. Being, you know, uh, I just want to uh, get on the tail end of that. You know, people did make a, a big deal out about, you know, Mally going out uh, at the end of the first half there. But I mean, so you were there. Dayton increased their lead from uh, what? Eight point margin to a 15 point margin with Mally out there. Yeah, they, they went to 13, yeah. and then I, th- I believe it got up to 15 at one point. But I remember the when we went to the media timeout at the 12-minute mark, I remember looking at um, at the guys who do the three-bid league pod. They were sitting right next to me, and I went, wow, plus five. So far, so good. I was like, maybe we're going to be okay. That was the moment where I was like, maybe we're going to be okay. I think this is going to be all right. Yeah, I, I think 
that's the thing that's so endemic about this this program, and it's been a pattern over the past, you know, since Grant got here, where you know they come out and they they look they look aggressive and they're they're getting to the to the rim. They go up 42-27 with about sixteen and a half to go, and you're not really missing Malachi. But then it's typical Dayton where they almost it's almost like watching a football game where they think that they could take the air of the ball, pass the ball around the perimeter for twenty five seconds, and then shoot a three. And yep. and that's that's just even when they were up fifteen, I knew it wasn't over. It wasn't like I was relaxing, going, "All right, they got this in a bag," you know. Sure. On, one, on one hand, I'm thinking it is Richmond. Um, you know, this isn't this isn't a, a fantastic team by any means, but they are senior laden. They know how, they're not going to quit on on, uh, especially during what could have been their last game of the season, their careers or whatever. But yeah, it's just one of those things where even when they got up fifteen, I I still had a feeling they were going to lose that game. It's just there's just no yeah. there, you know you watch a lot of college basketball and teams either go one or two directions when they're up double digits. It's either they put the foot on your throat or they kind of you know kind of take the ball uh, the air of the ball and run, try to run clock already. Um, but the last month, I mean, how many times did Dayton put teams away in the last month? I mean, we commented on this show how many times they right. did that successfully, right, but coming the, down the stretch. It, it just seemed with maybe with with. Kobe running running the, the the point there that um I don't know he he's obviously not not a primary ball handler he's obviously not a, a point guard but yeah it's just concerning because and and to kind of hit on what Drew said it's like a coaching staff should when, when you're going through one of those runs you call that timeout and you set up you know one of your go to plays you know let's get two yep. points here let's get a bucket let's stop the bleeding uh, but it, it just never happened it never came and um. The rest is history. I mean, it's NIT or bust once again. Yeah, and and I I remember, um, you know, when it was inevitable with what like thirty seconds to go, you know, it, it just all floods back to you in all the games we've lost in the A ten tournament, and at the time, of course, didn't know what the loss exactly meant. I. I mean, I assumed that it meant, hey, we're out of the tournament, we're out of the A-10, we have you know, no chance. Little did I know, or I was told, that Dayton was still in the tournament after losing that game. And that, that was when you know, I did my best to control myself down there, but the game was over, you know, people are picking up all their stuff, guys are moving off the court, and I just kind of sat there for a minute and just... I remember I looked over at Larry and everybody there was probably about five or six people that sat between me and Larry Hansgen and all the people had gotten up and they're like, oh, you know, see you in a little bit, see you in the meeting room, see you at the bar. OK, everyone's filing out. And I looked over at Larry and I don't know if he was doing the broadcast or not, but he just kind of had this look in his eye like he was just looking off into the distance, just thinking and I can't speak for him. What was going through his head? I just remember looking at his eyes and knowing he's thinking the same thing I'm thinking. Is it, how did, how did this happen again? And that was all I could think about was like, how does this keep happening to this program in the A-10 tournament one way or another? I mean, there's not a single person listening to this that could convince me that Dayton loses that game if Malachi Smith is on the floor. Do you guys agree with that? Like, are, are we pretty much all in agreement that if Malachi doesn't go out, Dayton wins a game. Yes and no. I I think there's a, obviously a higher percentage chance they win that game, but we've seen yeah. them blow games with Malachi in, in the lineup. So I mean, you know, history proves that incorrect. But yeah, I mean, it, if I'm a betting man, I'd say Dayton probably does. You know, win a win that game by about five five to seven points if, if Malachi goes. Yeah, oh, and I yeah. think I, I agree with that. Like, I, I do think with the way he was playing and how he was kind of dissecting the defense in the first half, I thought he played a pretty, like, a really good first half. He had seven points, two assists, two steals. I kind of thought he was kind of the, you know, the straw that was stirring the drink for that first half. And yeah, when, when he went out, it, it wasn't good. And I do agree. If, if he plays, it's not a, you know, 100% slam dunk guarantee because anything can happen. But uh, yeah, the chances of, them going on that run or going on that scoring drought rather are much lower because I think he d he does a good job of when we are when that is happening he does a good job of settling it down getting a screen getting into the lane and tr and making something happen to where you're not going seven minutes without a field goal yeah and that's where that seven minute stretch is what you know obviously you know and 
talking obviously here, but that was the, those were the moments where if you have like a, a good plus distributor on the floor, maybe you get a cheap bucket here and there because of how he's able to manipulate. And, and if you can't protect a 15 point lead with 16 minutes left in the, in the game and, and right. Malachi Smith is, is the, it's not, an right. Excuse. It, it's not an excuse. And that speaks to a bigger problem. Obviously, if you're, yeah. if you're one Malachi Smith injury away from being, you know, completely mediocre and you can't protect a 15 point, uh, uh, lead against Richmond in the second half, you know, that, that speaks to larger issues. And of course, in the ultimate irony, if the Flyers had any guard depth whatsoever, they probably would be able to sustain the run that was given to them. But um, for whatever reason, Anthony Grant thought it was a good idea to bring in Lynn Greer III onto the roster. He transferred out before the first semester was even over. He plays for St. Joe's now. Elijah Weaver got hurt. He goes down. He was What was told to me now the season is over is that he got hurt early on in the season and it was bugging him, but not so much that he couldn't play. So he tried to play through it and it got worse. And then he downplayed it saying like, oh, he's going to get back on the court. And then it was very clear that he could not play with that injury. Putting that aside, it is kind of ironic that the way the Dayton Flyers went down is they only had two guards left on their roster when Malachi sprains his ankle or whatever that ends up being. I don't I don't know what the prognosis is. I just said sprain his ankle because that's what I saw. Um, you know, that's kind of that's Dayton in a nutshell, right? Like all these little things go wrong. And then when you need some of that support in those big moments, they're not there for you. And, um, you know, I, I thought the guard depth was was the difference in the game. And it. it I think the thing that I struggled the most with about that loss was that I tweeted it out multiple times during the game. Kamara was getting what he wanted on KO down low. That was the matchup and they knew it. They kept going to him early in the second half. They would isolate. He got one-on-one chances. He got good looks at the bucket. And for all the shit that we've given Kamara on all the bunnies he's missed, he was making a lot of easy buckets. Um, not just in on Saturday, but on Friday. And, um, you know, I don't like looking back now. I'm not sure if Richmond did a great job of taking that away or, or Dayton just stopped going to the well. Um, but again, I, I said it and I'll say it again. It, it was one of the most gutting defeats I can ever remember. And now knowing what we know here on Monday evening, I would say it definitely is the most gutting defeat I can ever remember as a Dayton Flyers fan, because if you're listening to this, you know, it was the loss that kept Dayton out of the field. And then Richmond beating Davidson the next day was the thing that kept Dayton out of the field indefinitely. And so I'm going to, I'm going to move there. Um, I'm not going to be labor the a 10 tournament thing because the situation that we have on our hands that is frankly, utterly ridiculous is that the bill of goods that we were sold last night on the selection show was that the Dayton flyers were the number one team left out of the bracket. Number one ahead of everybody else. Uh, so of, all, of all the teams on the bubble, uh-huh. they are trying to convince you that Dayton was at the top of those teams. It is time for trivia, gentlemen. My trivia question for both of you, and I'll go down the list. I'm not going to use Ken Palm as the Bible. How many teams were rated higher than Dayton and Ken Palm and did not make the NCAA tournament? Drew, you go ahead and go first. How many teams in Ken Palm were ranked higher than Dayton did not make the NCAA tournament? Uh, I'm going to say 11. Holy shit, you nailed it. It's 11. Okay. I, I just started to eat some Chex Mix because I thought you, I was going to, you know. You know there's going to be some pondering going on. Yeah, I thought there's going to be some pondering. Okay, you nailed that one. So, Blackburn, I'll ask you. I'll, I'll say 11 as well. Yeah, you should say 11. <laughs> I, my question to you is... No, go 12. right. We're moving on to the next <laughs> part of trivia. It's so the second part of trivia for Blackburn. How many teams were ranked higher than the Dayton Flyers in the net and did not make the NCAA tournament? Uh, 11 in camp... Uh, I'll say six. It is nine. Nine, okay. I will go even further. Drew, back to you. How many teams were higher in the Sagarin rankings and made the NCAA tournament? Does that still exist? It does. It's hard I to find. I have looked though. at these rankings one time. I'm going to say seven. 
Drew's two for two. It's Damn. seven. Good Let's God. Go. Good God. Sully, drop some, some matches on the floor. Let Drew count them. <laughs> I'm going to have to make up a, a new noise here where someone gets trivia right. Um, I'll have to figure that out for next season. You're not you're not getting... Hit the ding. Yeah, I was going to say, you're not getting more ad-libs now, people. We're on the last show of the year. Okay, Blackburn, last one's for you. How many teams were ranked higher in Bart Torvik's rankings? Who, I will make this note, Bart Torvik's rankings had the Flyers highest out of all the rankings all year. Their numbers were very favorable in Bart Torvik. How, it's not a trick question. How many teams were ranked higher then Dayton, and did not make the tournament? I will say five. It is three. So to recap trivia for everybody out there, there were 11 teams ranked higher in Ken Palm that did not get in the tournament. There were nine teams ranked higher in the net. There were seven teams ranked higher in the Sagarin. These are all interchangeable teams. They're not different teams, of course. And there were three teams that were higher in Bart Torvik's. If you're trying to tell me that the committee looked at that and said, yes, Dayton is better than all of those teams, you're going to need to provide me with rationale and transparency into how you made that decision. Because last night, I was frankly enjoying myself, and I was back to enjoying my situation and taking comfort in our outcome, and that I was not going to see the Dayton Flyers name on this program. And then... They say that the Dayton Flyers are the number one team left out of the field. That is a load of crap. Okay. That is an absolute load of crap. And they asked him on the broadcast, the, the selection committee chairman, Seth Davis said, what did you like about Dayton? Because nobody else even had them close to the field. I mean, even the most generous bracketologists had Dayton as the fourth or fifth team out. And then all of a sudden, the bill of goods that they're selling us is that Dayton was in the tournament. As of Sunday morning, and mm -hmm. Richmond beating Davidson knocked them out. I cannot, for the life of me, understand what in the hell is going on with this particular aspect. And, and again, there were a lot of puzzling decisions made in the tournament. They can't seem to figure out the whole, like, if you have a better seed, you should go to a better location thing. You know, Michigan and Ohio State got, like, very favorable draws while, like, Teams like Iowa win the Big Ten tournament. They have to go to Buffalo. It makes no sense to me. So then it leads me to my next point. Joe Lenardi goes on ESPN yesterday, provides a horrible explanation, trips over himself about 10 different times trying to explain what the committee did. And the, and the one thing that he stood out to me that he said was that year after year after year, the games on Sunday do not matter for seeding. Now, they obviously mattered for the fact that Richmond got an auto bid. I'm not talking about that. What I'm talking about is Iowa wins the Big Ten tournament. They still get a five seed while Wisconsin gets a three. So it, it begs the question, why are these games being played on Sunday? What's the point? If they don't matter towards the tournament and they're all just fun, what is the point of playing those games on Sunday? Have all the games end on Saturday, and then we can get to the selection show earlier on Sunday. I simply cannot understand, number one, how the committee came to the conclusion that Dayton was the number one team, why they had to show us that I'd rather just be, I, you know, I'd rather not know. And then why don't the games on Sunday matter? Joe Lenardi said it. It's not like I am reading between the tea leaves. He said year after year after year, the games on Sunday don't matter. Then why the fuck are we playing the games on Sunday? Well, I don't understand it. Black, did, Blackburn, I'll let you go first. I, I don't know if you saw the comments by Rick Barnes. Uh, I think it was today, actually. And obviously, you know, Tennessee got the big screw job, uh, which, you know, some people saw it coming. Some people obviously didn't see it coming. But Rick Barnes is, is like you saw. He said, look, if, if these games don't matter, um, you know, if, if what we if, if what Tennessee did over this weekend doesn't matter, why are we playing them? You know, and he literally said what what we should do is have the teams who are already in the field just not play in a conference tournament. Just let the teams that are on the bubble and the rest of the field uh, in that conference play in the conference tournament because it's not doing anything yep. other than risking, you know, injuries and stuff like that. Uh, so Rick Barnes is with you all the way. Now, granted, he's a little salty today because he had to watch uh, Duke get the two seed over Tennessee, which I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday. You know, I was I was like uh, on the Sunday morning. I always read kind of like what are the storylines going into the to the selection show and the number one. Uh, kind of uh, topic was Tennessee and everybody, it was so hilarious to see people go, look, Tennessee has got a great resume. 
you can make an argument that they're the top number two seed right now, but we can guarantee there'll be a three. And we can guarantee that yeah. Duke will be a, a, a two, even though Tennessee's resume is far superior. And like you said, Reese Davis had Lenardi on last night, and he straight up asked him, how do you justify Tennessee being a three and Duke being a two? And, Le- and his Le- justification was, oh, I just knew they were going to be there. Well, Why? That, well, that, <laughs> it gets to a bigger point, right? And then Lenardi did this embarrassing thing where he's like, well, I got my own secret formula. I can't tell you about it, but... uh." But let's just break. Let's just be. Let's just be frank. It's cause it's Duke, and it's cause it's Tennessee. If you, if the if the situations were reversed, it'd be a different story. But it's you know it's the Duke factor. It's Coach K going out and look. Everybody predicted us going in, and Lenardi should just been a man and say, look, I know how these things work. I know there's little politics at play, and I knew that they weren't going to move Duke off the two line. It wasn't going to happen. But he didn't say that. He hemmed and hawed and kind of embarrassed himself and made believe he had some special formula that was, you know, we're not privy to. Um, yep. But, but that, look, that's just the way it is. But at the end of the day, you know, you got to win six games to win the national title. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's kind of horseshit. And um, yeah, you know, getting back to the Dayton thing, Sully, I'm with you. When I saw that flash up, I immediately was befuddled, just like Seth Davis was, because. I'm sure you guys check out bat, uh, Bracket Matrix, right? Um, yep. They'll have, I think they had up to 200 people doing it this year. And these are people who know what they're doing. You know, it's not like I'm just out there. For the most part. Right. Yeah. For the most part, they're very accurate. You know, they always list them by accuracy from previous years. And well, so it's a very, I always use this example of Blackburn. It's a very wisdom of crowds type of example. For sure. Even if you do have 20 guys who are morons and 20 guys who are the most qualified, and then the rest are 160 guys that are kind of amateurs, you're going to get pretty damn close to the reality if you average those all out. Right, because anybody who, who's even a casual follower of, of college basketball, you can pretty much pick out the majority of at-large bits, right? You, you kind of right. know going in. It's really those three or four at the end there. That's where the science and kind of... Um, the you know the insight comes comes into play, but I looked at it. I think Saturday night. I don't think I looked at it on Sunday because I didn't think Dayton even had a shot. Dayton was no. not Dayton was not listed in the last four out in any of the two hundred prognostications. None whatsoever. Sure. So when you have that kind of outlier where it's like all two hundred people who who kind of know what they're doing for the most part, none of them none of them saw Dayton coming like that. Like there's something weird. And look. I'm a little conspiratorial. I think that was just the NCAA's way of throwing the mid-majors a bone, saying, oh, look, we, it, it, uh, but for, you know, if Richmond didn't get in, we, we were going to put another mid-major team in there, you know? Uh, I, I just, at the end of the day, I don't buy it. I think if Richmond lost the A-10 championship, I don't think they would have put Dayton in the field, but that's just me. I, I, I'd have to agree yeah. with you. I just don't buy it. Yeah, and I... Yeah, I I like I I sat down. I got some Lee's chicken, some comfort food last night. <laughs> sat down to watch the selection show, knowing full well that Dayton was not going to be in the field. And it gets done. I'm like, all right, that you know, interesting bracket. Wow, Tennessee at three. That's that's interesting. Then that graphic flashed across the screen, and I literally choked on my food. I I had to do like self Heimlich and drink water because I was coughing uncontrollably because I simply could not believe that we were the first team out and. Uh, like with I'm with you like uh, initially I was you know mad because like oh my gosh we just missed out and then as I sat there and thought about it I was like there's there's no way <laughs> there's no way there's and no then way. obviously you know the explanations and Sully I think the trivia questions tonight like do a good job of you know emulating what our problem here is and like I'm not going to pretend to understand what the committee is going to do like moving forward because sure. I, with what they did this year with some of the seeding and the decisions, I Lord knows what goes through their minds when they're picking this tournament. So uh, again, I'm just going to stop being speculative on those kinds of things. And yeah, I, I still can't believe it's like I lost the game again. You, you know, and and here's it's like we lost. It's like we lost to Richmond again. Here's the other thing. Yeah, it was. It actually felt. It felt exactly like another loss. Um, but we tend to think of things in our own bubble in in situations like this, like, oh, woe is me and Dayton, and this all happens to us, and this is so sad. And there are a bunch of programs that have legitimate beef about why they weren't even considered 
And I'll give you the number one program I'm looking at where they have to go, hey, what the fuck? And it's SMU. SMU is 13 spots higher than Dayton in the net. They're three spots higher in the Ken Palm. They're five spots higher in the BPI. They're 21 spots higher in the Sagarin. They're 11 spots higher in the KPI. The only metric that had Dayton higher was the Bart Torvik one, which I mentioned, had Dayton high pretty much all year because of their efficiency metrics. Dayton was five spots higher in that, okay? So I just I rattled off six metrics right there. SMU was higher in five of them. SMU had a better strength of schedule, which is a pretty bad metric. Um, I don't really like to, to reference it that much, so I, I will kind of kind of throw it out. The strength of record, 18 points higher for SMU. SMU had the same amount of wins. Dayton had one more quad one victory than them. And you might, you might go, well, Dayton beat Kansas. Guess what? SMU beat fucking Houston, okay? And then you, you keep going down the resume. Okay, Dayton's in the uh, quad one and quad two. Dayton was eight and six. SMU was six and six. Okay. And Dayton's got three quad four losses. And you're you're telling me. And then to put the cherry on top, of course, Dayton lost to SMU head to head. They literally played each other and SMU beat Dayton. Whoops. Like it, it, like I, this is where I kind of lose it a little bit because I'm just looking at a resume like this and I cherry picked this one, of course. But you can go through, I mean, there are many other examples. Wake Forest had a better resume than Dayton. You could even make a case for North Texas. BYU was right there in front of Dayton in in the net. Um, BYU had more quad four wins. Um, and again, I, I just, where are you pulling these metrics from? So if you're sitting here right now and, and you're listening to this and you go, oh, I don't know why you're getting upset about your team being so close. What I'm getting upset about is that this did not go our way. But if you're a team where it really didn't go your way, like SMU, wouldn't you want some kind of transparency to understand why it didn't go your way? And I know we get this dog and pony show just about every year now, but the lack of transparency is simply baffling. It's like we have gone to all these lengths to get rid of the RPI. We want to institute the net. And you want to take a look at Ken Palm, but you don't you know, want to use it as a Bible. You can't u- really use strength of schedule metrics because they're not that accurate. What are we using? What is the metric that anyone needs to look at when I can take two teams? I'm a guy doing a podcast in my house right now. I can look at these resumes and I can say it is absolutely unexplainable to have Dayton in front of SMU. It's absolutely unexplainable. And, well, and that's kind of where I find myself today. Not only that, Sully, I forget. It was one of the top, you know, bracketologists, quote unquote, dudes. And he had a quick tidbit about Dayton. And he said, the fact that um, he's like, it's it's almost impossible for a mid-major team that, ha- that has a good season to get in that large bid, correct? You got to be dominant. Yeah. And yeah. He, he made the point that, that we kind of made it earlier in the year. The f- three quad four losses and a loss to LaSalle for a mid-major team, there is no way they should be considered for an at-large bid. Yeah. I mean, and that's what the guy's point is. He's saying you can, you can, you can focus on all the positives that, that Dayton did. And, and there's a lot of it, you know, they, they, they did pretty well in conference. They got the Kansas win, uh, the Vatech win, obviously, uh, you know, there, there's more value to that at the end of the season. But when you're a mid major and you're, you're in, you're in position for a at-large bid, you can't have three Q4 losses. <laughs> You just can't. No. It, it takes you out no. of consideration. And that's what the guy's point was. He was like, yeah, wins matter, but also losses matter as well. So, and his point was, you can't just throw away those three shitty losses for, you know, an at-large bid for a mid-major team. And that's what I think was shocking like, for a lot of those that. guys. Right. And that's what a lot of these guys were saying. They were saying, yeah. I didn't consider Dayton as an, you know, even in the, the last four or five out because of how terrible those losses were. So you're right. It would be interesting to see what that committee was talking about when it looked at Dayton's resume, and those those four losses come up on the screen. I mean, do they just completely discount those? I mean, it it doesn't make any sense. That's what I'll, t- I'll tell people right now is that where I was dead wrong, and I I will own this is that some people were like they did the Homer thing, where they're like those losses happened. One guy said this on Twitter a million years ago, man. I'm like, what? Like, what does that mean? It happened this season. It's on their record. 
they're not 23 and 7, they're 23 and 10 because they lost those games. It happened. It's reality. But all these people want to say, well, it happened so long ago and look how well we're playing. They'll they'll realize we have a young team and we were trying to figure it out. Well, you know what? I guess I have to say that you were right. I really did not think the committee would be that nearsighted and completely throw out the way the season started. And I was trying to be as realistic as possible. And I was wrong. The committee did. They threw them out. They didn't give a shit. And I'm frankly just kind of stunned by it. Um, Drew, what are your thoughts on the whole situation? I, I echo you like the same thing pretty much because I felt the same way. I thought those losses would be too much to overcome. Clearly, I was wrong. Hand up. Um, but in a weird, almost in a weird way, like they threw those games out, but also they still kind of in a weird way mattered because, you know, if you win those three games, you know, you even keep the LaSalle loss. There were four seed. We're, we're, <laughs> yeah. we're comfort- we are comfortably. I mean, comfortably but we knew that. Well, yeah. in the field. We knew that, you know? Well, yeah, Drew. Look, yeah. Think about, you, you have to also think about like, okay, yeah, we, we have the hindsight to say on Selection Sunday, here's how it would have played out. But you also need to consider the fact that if Dayton had won those games, okay, j- the three games to start the year, it, we're just, they would have started the year 9-0 and and their first loss would have been at Southern Methodist on December 8th. Dayton would have had a 9-0 and record with beating Kansas they would have been likely a top 15 team in the country when they went to go play at SMU. So the entire optics of their season would have changed. You get what I'm saying? Yes. That, that, and that was the broader point I was trying to make. Like, I apologize. If they just take care of their business. Their biz- I know I could have worded it better probably, but <laughs> like if they just would have taken care of business in those three games, like, and that's what I mean. The committee just completely threw them out and that's why we got as close as we got. But if, it's they still derailed our season because, like you said, the optics of us being nine and zero going with a win over Kansas is it would have been hard to ignore. And with the way we played the rest of the year, even losing that game to LaSalle late and losing to George Mason, like probably wouldn't have mattered. We we would have been basically in the exact same position as Davidson, um, which you know bring right. it full circle for where Blackburn was. It you could make the case that with what we just saw. On Selection Sunday, Dayton was in the tournament before the A-10 tournament started. You could make that case pretty reasonably. You would have to, yeah. So again, yeah. So again, if you're going to tell me that if Dayton doesn't go to D.C., they probably get in, what are we doing? Like, What are we doing here with these conference tournaments? And I'm a bit of a cynic on the conference tournaments. Everybody's known this about me. I think it's utterly ridiculous that mid-major leagues play 18 regular season games just to have the entirety of their season come down to three days. I think that's the stupidest shit ever. The regular season has to matter for for mid-majors. But now on the flip side, like these conference tournaments have to matter. And it feels like every single year they matter less and less. And for leagues like the A-10, they're actually a detriment to their teams. Yep. More so, more often than yep. they're not. Well, th- you know, I, I I'm a big proponent of, you know, first of all, the the lower tier leagues. Um, you know, the Miacs and the Swacks and the Summits, they should eliminate conference tournaments altogether. Send your regular season champ. Uh, that's a that's a team that really earned it. it it's it's crazy to me that these lower tier leagues, and I guess it doesn't matter because they're not expected to go very far in the tournament anyway, but those guys should be rewarded. But that's not the point. Right. Yeah, uh, they should be rewarded. And- I hate people who are like, oh my God, you see this buzzer beater? Like Texas Southern State Southeastern, they won and they haven't won five games all year. I don't like that. I think that's bullshit. Why is a team that. that's five and 26 getting a chance to keep their season going and in the process knocking out the best the conference has to offer? It's ridiculous. Well, and not only that, but you know the Ivy League. Obviously, they're very. It's a very forward-thinking conference. They kind of figured this out, didn't they? They decided. Look, they had the regular season champ go every year, and then eventually it was like, look, everyone's got to have a conference tournament. But the Ivy League was smart. If they go, well, we're only, if that's the case, we're not going to invite the last place team to have a chance to represent our, our league. We're going to invite just no. the top four because those are the guys who earned at least that shot. And that's what a lot of, you know, maybe the uh, league like the A-10, maybe you're better off just having six teams in the conference tournament or maybe eight. I think that'd be Yeah, sick. I think, I, I think. I think that'd be Because the A-10, you know, believe it or not, is not going to get six at-large bids going forward. I think the league is getting no. worse and worse. Um, 
So why would it, doesn't a league like the a, the league like the A10 just go? All right, we're gonna invite the top six teams. The, you know, the top two teams they earn a buy into the semis, and that way we guarantee that at least whoever gets the auto bid was somewhat of a, of a competitive team all season. You know. Yep. Yeah, I I'm fully behind the like qualifying for your conference tournament, top eight, top six, however you want to do it. I think that is. A very very good idea. Yeah, it's a no brainer for me. And look, it's kind of what even Rick Barnes, who's in a Power Five conference, was kind of saying the same thing. Like, what are we doing here? Like, like Sully said, Rick Barnes probably feels like it was more of a detriment, or it was useless for Tennessee to win the SEC uh, championship this weekend. It did nothing for absolutely. Them. It didn't strengthen Literally their resume. Right. The, the bracket was probably created sometime on Tuesday or Wednesday, and they were just penciling in. All right, we'll put Richmond here. Uh, we'll put uh, Virginia Tech here, and that's that's the bracket. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I think some of these leagues should really look at that because, you know, you, you kind of want to set, you know, put your best foot forward and, you know, I, I'm not, and again, I'm not shitting on Richmond at all, but you could very well make the case that they should not be, you know, Richmond in technically has a chance at the national title right now. Do yep. they earn it with their performance yep. this season? I, I don't think so, but that's no. just the way the system is right now. You know what I mean? And it's not like the A-10 is making a shit ton of money off the A-10 tournament. Let's be honest. I mean. No, they're, they're probably losing I mean, bucks on that. There was, there was it's pathetic. The semis were the most crowded day, and I mean, there, if there was five thousand people there, then that would that'd be generous, right? I would say. Um, but you know, then you even get into the teams that really helped their case, or you thought they did, like Indiana. Indiana beats Michigan, then they beat Illinois, the number one seed overall, and they still are playing in the first four. Yeah. It's like. They have to be sitting there going, well, if we didn't play, are we going to get in? Because if that's the case, then the hell with it. You know, we'll, we'll just wait back and take our chances. So and I um, you could take it I, further. Look at a team like Notre Dame, right? Shitty, shitty resume. A lot of people thought, well, look, Notre Dame probably needs a win or two in the, in the AC tournament to kind of solidify their bid. They shit yeah. the bed and they're still in the field. So it's like, you know, first round. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like, well, you know, what are we doing here? Notre Dame losing the first round of their tournament meant nothing to their 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 uh their tournament bit their hopes so it yeah it's silly yeah and and then of course you had Texas A and M who got the other side of the stick yep um yeah they win Thursday against Florida bubble team they won that game they beat Auburn they beat Arkansas both teams that are in the tournament they lose to Tennessee in the final they still get held out I I I can't make heads or tails of it if make you're it a Texas A and M fan. Yeah, yeah. If you're a Texas A&M fan and you saw Dayton as the first team out, <laughs> yeah, exactly. you'd be like, "What the fuck?" You'd <laughs> exactly. be like, "Are you serious?" Yeah, exactly. I mean, Texas A&M had 14 opportunities in the quad one, but they won four of them, and that's more quad one wins than Dayton had. And guess what? They didn't lose any quad four games. So it's the same thing. It's like I, I'm taking the metrics that I can here that are all in front of me, but just none of these numbers make sense and. Consequently, what we have is is a big shit burger to eat uh, as Flyer fans after they they told us. And again, they, they want to sell us this bill of goods is that Dayton was the number one team left out of the tournament. So whether you believe that or not, we will move on and I will digress uh, to put a bow on this season. So I, uh, I got some good back and forth on Twitter, um, as I always do. And it almost makes me thankful that the season is coming to a close but <clears throat> the anthony grant debate is hot as ever and i you know it's funny guys we have a show and we've, we we as we cruise through the year i think you know a lot of people listen to the show consistently some people pop in pop out and then there's a crowd that i, I do kind of forget about and last night they poked their head out there was people just coming out of the woodwork to do the what whatever you know to, to do the whole thing where if the season goes as the way we think it's going to go next year, they're going to come back. And I told you so about Anthony Grant. And I don't really know where those people are coming from because this season, um, I think we all sat here and said we had enough talent to make the NCAA tournament. That clearly is true. It's the case. They did have the talent to make the NCAA tournament. And the start to the season was what undid them and, and why they did not get in. So it's hard for me to simultaneously hear from people that the expectations were met because out from the outset, every single year, the expectation at Dayton is to play for the conference title, which they did. 
They were you know right there at for the number one seed until they lost to LaSalle. And the expectation is to make the NCAA tournament. They didn't either. So, you know, whether you're a person who has to be nice to the team and you're a homer or, you know, if you tend to be more realistic like we do, expectations weren't met this season. And, you know, Anthony Grant now is four years out of five or, you know, I guess we can be generous and, you know, you got to give him the, the 20, 20 years. So four years out of five now. The program has not met expectations. And I sat here with Brooks Hall a couple weeks ago and he outlaid his opinion, which was extremely valid. You know, AG tore down the roster first year so that he could build back up. And then the second year, um, they lost a lot of games, frankly, like they did this year. A lot of close games, one possession games. They probably had the talent to get there. They didn't get it done. 2020, they turned the corner, one of the best teams in the country. And then last year, the people that you know, make this argument like Brooks did say, oh, well, it was a COVID year. Well, everybody had a COVID year. <laughs> it, it probably hit Dayton a little bit more so than other programs, but it wasn't really an excuse. Every other program played under the exact same conditions. And by the end of the season, the Dayton players didn't even look like they wanted to be there. So now you fast forward to this year. They had a lot of talent. They were really young. I think Grant did a great job after the one and three start of getting this team to where they were. But, you know, with that, you have to be honest. The expectations were not met. And so here we are. We're, we're back full circle to the argument that we have every year, guys. And the last part of the program this year is where we have to keep it is that, you know, whether you're Grant's most ardent supporter or whether you do not think Grant is the guy for the job, wherever you land on that debate, next year is going to tell us everything that we need to know about the tenure of Anthony Grant because it's chapter two. It's post OB. It's post 2020. COVID is long behind us now. So wherever you land on the debate, Dayton has to get back to the tournament next year. And frankly, <clears throat> my cards on the table where I personally lie on this is that I do believe Dayton will get back to the tournament next year. I think they will be preseason ranked or damn near ranked. And I think they will have a target on their back that they're going to have to deal with from night one. I hope, I hope and I pray that Dayton takes what happened to them this year more seriously all the way from the athletic department down to the floor, because I am, I'm really not going to accept as many buy games as we keep putting on the schedule. And especially when we just saw from the committee that they don't matter. So if they don't matter, then why won't we go out and schedule better games? So that's where I'm going to to open it up to you guys to finish up the, the show tonight is that, um, I would like to see Dayton go and play some one-off games without the chance of a return trip to UD Arena, play some tough teams on the road, because we've already seen that those losses didn't really hurt Dayton. So if you're trying to play your cards close to the chest and you're trying to navigate the net scene and you're trying to navigate how to get an at-large bid, go play somebody on the road. It's not going to hurt you. The only thing that's going to hurt Dayton is their pocketbooks because they're not going to get the revenue from a buy game. But We've already talked about this year in, year out. The money that you can generate from making an NCAA tournament run will far offset that and then some for years to come. So I I wanted to finish the show there myself and get your thoughts, guys. Is that, you know, again, Blackburn, I think your position on Grant's pretty well stated. I think Drew's position is well stated. I think mine, same way. I think we've all put our opinion out there on how much we are or are not in support of Anthony Grant. But next year is the deciding line. You make the tournament where the expectations are not being met. That's as simple as that. Yeah, and I don't think anybody can deny that. And, and I'll say this. People you know, try. Yeah, but I'll, I'll say that I'm not a big Anthony Grant cheerleader. You know that. You do have to give the guy credit, though, for you know turning the season around. You know, hundred percent. We, we sat here at the end of November kind of laughing, like, I can't believe we got to go through the rest of this year. Um, but yeah, give it was give a hell those, of a time. Yeah, I, well, it was a low, low, the lowest point I can remember since I started following UD. I mean, those three you losses like were came on the cast one time, feeling bad for me. You're like, you're gonna have to keep going with the show this year. Yeah, because I, I, yeah, because I know what it's like. I mean, I used to have to drive <laughs> a, a blog through, uh, you know, a, a BG eight and eight year. You know, it's just like I've been there. <laughs> but yeah, you have to, you have to give Grant and the and the guys credit for turning the season around putting themselves on the doorstep of the NCAA tournament. I mean, that's remarkable. Absolutely. After but, one and three, it is absolutely remarkable. But at the end of the day, I mean, the way I look at it, uh, rating a coaching performance, it's pass fail. You know, I, I don't have a ABCD yeah. 
<coughs> excuse me. And you have to say this year that the staff, they, they failed. They didn't get to the tournament. Uh, the A-10 was way down this year. Um, but like I said, the the program has, well, at least we can say it's a, there's a stability there, right? We know who we, we can yeah. rely on next year. Uh, it's We got young guys who can play. I mean, Holmes has turned himself into an absolute monster. Absolute monster. And the thing is, he is so... It, it's probably about 25% of what he's capable of. Do you know what I mean? The game is yeah. not refined yet. He hasn't really developed any kind of outside touch. It's mostly inside dunks, but goddamn, I mean, it's effective. You know what I mean? Um, easy buckets. Easy, that's, what we, that's what we talk about. That's what you need. Easy buckets. So yeah, I mean, the program is as stable as it's been since the Archie Miller years. So that's a plus. Um, the mm-hmm. A-10 should be pretty dog shit again next year. I think. Um, regardless of his conference favorite, let's put exactly. It let's put it that way. Simply said. So yeah, I mean, look, all, all the all the you know the, the the Grant sycophants put put it on the line right now. Make next year the benchmark. You know what I mean? I want to hear all these guys like Brooks Hall and all these guys who support Anthony Grant no matter what. Put it on the line. Put your name on it and say, yeah, if Dayton does make the tournament next year, we got to have a talk. That's all. That's all you got to say. Keep it honest. Drew? Put your name on it. <laughs> well, I echo I echo many of the sentiments. You know, despite the you know the one and three start, we we dissected that, and those those uh, worries are dead and buried now. But they did do a good job of getting the season on track, getting us on the doorstep. And you know, like I said, I am probably the staunchest of Grant defenders on he, on this program. Uh, well, you said you know, program. There are people there. There are people on Twitter who are much you know much more hold the line than i am than yeah. i can be but i i am there I, it's it's tournament or bust next year we're going to have the expectations the, the expectations need to be met and quite frankly i think we should uh exceed those expectations that we have next year <clears throat> i think we have the potential to be a very very good basketball team and you know what we all this talk about expectations i do think that the coaching staff and the players all had the expectation going into the year that they were going to make the tournament and they didn't reach that goal. And I do think that is going to be shared. And I do think that is going to be an emphasis going into next season is that we don't want to feel like we did on Saturday and Sunday again, this time next year. So yeah, the line is in the sand. It's, it's, it's go time next year. It's winning time. And hopefully we can kind of get rid of some demons here and get back to the big dance. I'm with you guys. I'm with you. I guess we, we can, add since we we have you know belabored this point a a good bit um yeah i want to be a little bit introspective to to close the show tonight you know i always have fun with this program and i i've had fun kind of making it a new thing you know making our own gathering some galvanizing support for this this podcast program It, it really is fun and i um I want to thank like all the people that listen in. Um, I thankfully I I always forget to do this because I'm the worst podcast host ever. But shout out to the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty because they kept the lights on for us all year long. And if you are looking for that home in southwestern Ohio, again, don't look any further than the Lions and Reynolds team at Heritage Hill Realty. They're realtors you can rely on. So I want to thank them. I want to thank the listeners. Um, you know, I got to take this show to the A10 tournament and it, it had talking out loud right there on the card. I had my own seat courtside. Um, that was really cool. And um, I think that was my favorite part of the season, which is like a personal thing. Um, aside from that, I think the Blakeney dunk was actually my favorite moment of the season where um you just had kind of a, a moment of joy and Keith Wallace was on the radio call and his dad had passed away the week before, and I know that he needed that as well. And it kind of brings me all the way back to like why we do this, right? Like why we do this podcast, why Blackburn did the blog. It's because it really is kind of a this like community of fans where we're all obsessed with the same thing. And, you know, all the people that argue with us about stuff on Twitter, you know, whether we get into the mud or not, I appreciate all of you because you wouldn't argue about the program if you didn't care. And if you didn't care, it wouldn't make doing this show worth it. So I don't know if you guys wanted to add anything to that, but that's what I wanted to say is that all you people that super care and maybe you hate my guts or maybe you love this program, whatever, you wouldn't feel that way if you didn't care about the program. And I thank you for it. So that's that's where I wanted to end the show tonight. So I don't know. Again, yep. 
I'll hop, I'll hop on the on the tail of that as well and say I I always enjoy coming on whenever I am asked to be on this program. Um, it's always so much fun to just chop it up with some guys, and I think we have the the nice mix of differing opinions here where we try and give you an interesting show every time. We try and not to be boring, same regurgitated stuff. I think we do a good job of that, and obviously the listeners as the show has grown have proven that. Um, I've met a lot of people through this podcast and uh, doing the radio show and the beer giveaway. So uh, I'll end it on my favorite moment of this season uh, at being actually being physically at the game. It was beating Kansas, which has some personal ramifications for me. I dislike Kansas for many, many reasons. <laughs> so that was one, a little, little revenge for Hawaii as well. I was at that game as well. So that was a little, you know, some sweetness, but for me, it was the 30, it was the 30 piece we gave VCU on the road. Uh, it's the closest thing we have to arrival and we, we get to hold that over their heads until next November. So, uh, from there, that's where I'll, I'll sign off here. Um, and yeah, again, fun season. And I'll just add, yeah, I'll just add, you know, Sully, obviously you you got to give you some appreciation. I mean, I don't think people really know what goes on behind the scenes and how much time and effort you got to put into something like this. So, and look, you've turned this into kind of, I wouldn't say a hobby necessarily, but you push this into a, a, a different direction to different heights. You legitimized it. Um, and I, I, I honestly, I think you're a, a very good voice of the program. You're at the right age where you can kind of see the future and know about the past. Um, you know, I'll, I'll bore for better or worse, for, better, for worse. You know, I, <laughs> I come from those VG days where I'm kind of, I'm always afraid of we're going to, you know, sink to those depths again. So I always come from this yeah. very nervous, very kind of like, Oh God, are we going back to that um, kind of attitude? But yeah, shout out to you guys for uh, for keeping it going. It's, you know, was it past five years now? Four, five? I mean, yeah, I think I took over. Year. I took over doing the blog with you uh, when the 2017 season started. So it was like fall 2016, and then yeah. we really started ramping up the podcast like when Grant took over. So so yeah, I mean, this is five years now. I mean, and shit. You know, a little, a little inside baseball. I mean, Sully is you're you're making a move back to PA. Yeah, you're moving you're moving yeah. in with your old lady. Um, yeah. it's you know, I, I hear some some footsteps, some little tiny footsteps coming down the pipe. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we go long. I could do this. Yeah, I mean that, that's what it when real life starts. Well, that's why you fellas got me. Yeah, yeah, we need young yeah, Drew. True. Yeah, but uh, yeah, but, but seriously, Sully, it's been it's been a, it's been fun to be on to be on, and it's great to have this forum and. Yeah, you've, you've done a, a great job with it. And, uh, yeah, look forward to next year and more of the same. And uh, go Gators. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I um, – Come on, yeah, Gators. Come on, Gators. Come on, Florida. Um, I, you know, I guess because you, you teed me up for that. <laughs> here. Um, no, I, I, um, I like doing it. You know, I do. Um, but I will say, like, when the season – does end whenever it does end you know i would rather flyers be in the tournament obviously it goes without saying but um there is kind of a relief like there, oh, yeah. there is um you know for people that care and if you're it you know listen to the last few minutes of this program you definitely care you're with us for over an hour this week like you know twice a week from basically from the end of christmas until the time i'm talking to you right now on march 14th um you know i'm in my office probably four to six hours a week doing what we're doing right now. Um, getting guests, lining it up, um, you know, lining up guests and keeping the show interesting is probably the hardest part. Like when I get on with you guys, it's the fun stuff. Like we just get to, Hey, what'd you see? How was the game? What do you think we're going to do? Um, but every time you get done with a show, whether it's good, bad or indifferent, like even when I did the Scott Van Pelt episode, okay, that show's great. Hey, next week or in three days, the Flyers have another game. Hey, you have another show to do. Um, so I think it's a grind and I think like the people that do it for a living, obviously they have the time to do it for a living, but when you do something for a living, which I do and, you know, have a job and, you know, I gotta, I gotta do that. Um, I'm thankful that I've been able to make it work all these years. And, um, but yeah, like I said, when the season does come to an end, I'm like, Ooh, I need a little bit of a break till we get going in October, November, whatever it is. Um, I'll try to do some of the player interviews in the off season. It usually is like, if I'm itching to get back on the mic, I'll try to reach out to some players and see if they want to talk. But um, for now, you know, I, I cherish my breaks. Uh, I appreciate all you listeners out there. And so um, 
I was listening to this song this afternoon, and it was very uh, fitting to take this, the show out with. But I'm going to take a shot with In the End uh, by Linkin Park. Uh, rest in peace to, to Chester, lead singer of Linkin Park. Um, but yeah, I'm going to take it out with In the End. It's my show, and that's what I get to do. So uh, for Blackburn and, uh, and Drew, I'm Sully. Two rules. Drew, tell them the first rule. We're red. And Blackburn, you can tell them the second rule. Be loud. It starts with one thing. I don't know why. It doesn't even matter how hard you try. Keep that in mind. I designed this product to explain in due time. All I know. Time is a valuable thing. Watch it fly by as the pendulum swings. Watch it count down to the end of the day. The clock takes life away. It's so unreal. Didn't look out below. Watch the time go right out the window. Trying to hold on. To didn't even know. I wasted it all just to watch it. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.